This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshy starts now. Hello there. Welcome to you. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition or Weekends with Walshy. My name is Peter Gowers. I hope you've had a good week. Hope you've got a hot beverage or a cold one, depending on what time of the day you're listening to this. Sit back and relax because we're about to have some fun. Let me introduce the uh, Minister of All Things Speaking the Truth, the man from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, the editor, Mr. Chris Walsh. Walshy, how are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, Pete. That was uh, quite the introduction on everything well, here. Really yeah. good. It sounds like fun. That, it really <laughs> is fun. It really is. I mean, don't, don't matter the fact that sometimes we walk away from the end of this with the weight of the world on our shoulders. <laughs> Things yeah. can be crumbling as they are, but it's at the same time, it's just great to catch up and go through it all with you. Oh, that's 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 entirely right, and I and I agree with you. And on that note, it is good to see you again. So yes, let's have a chat. Let's have a chat, and let's get into it because it has been a big week, no bigger, in fact, for our uh, fearless leader. <laughs> <laughs> now that can mean a few things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that open to interpretation. But uh, yeah, our fearless leader was invited to the uh, national press club this week, not really knowing what it was. <laughs> Clearly, he decided to tell a few porky pies. Let's discuss that. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, look. Um, yeah, look. Yeah, before we get into the lies, I mean, I think she told a few things. So probably not accurate but i think it's interesting to kind of sit back and um kind of analyze what this actually was before we get into these these issues um she was brought down she was put on this national stage now it appears that you know she's kind of putting a new face on her leadership at this point now we're a euro from the election so you got to keep that in mind that this was almost the unofficial kickoff if you will of labor's re-election campaign yeah. um despite the rumblings that you know we still hear about her leadership being tenuous uh, at this time still <laughs> um this is clear from her office that they wanted to put her on the national stage and paint her as a type of uh uh, you know, the Iron Lady of the Northern Territory, if you will. And, 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 and I'm not just picking that out randomly. Now, she actually conjured Margaret Thatcher. She didn't start using a British accent, did she? <laughs> <laughs> no, but in her speech, um, now, right, so there was an hour-long uh, press club event address, 30-minute speech, 30-minute Q&A. Now, in that speech, that's where she was attracting the, or attacking the teals and the trolls who try to talk down the Northern Territory. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, now, what's unusual about that was how that line ended was something like, you know, the teals and trolls uh, try to talk down the territory or something. The territory's not for turning, <laughs> she said. Now, this yeah. harkens back to a very famous speech that Margaret Thatcher made, yeah. where she said, this lady's not for turning. And this was to her party when, um, you know, uh, criticisms about the economy yeah, uh, yeah. We're, we're building. And she said this lady's not for turning, that she was going to stay the course and see through her her policies. And, and yeah. even despite the, you know, um, unemployment rate being just ridiculously high in Britain at the time. And then, of course, you know, she's Margaret Thatcher. We know everything about her now, union-busting Margaret Thatcher. Yes. And yet you've got now a Labour 
uh, leader in yeah. Australia, you know, conjuring up Thatcher for some reason. Like it, yeah. it was, it was, it was a bit unusual, but it was also deliberately done, I think, because what that speech did, where she, where, where a Labour chief minister is down in Canberra attacking uh, the Greenies, if you will. Um, uh, the Southern do-gooders, uh, you know, she really kind of put herself, that's more what you would think of a liberal leader doing, right? Like yeah. that she's a, a conservative more would do that. And then, and then labor. Um, so by doing that, and it was interesting that Leah Fanacchiaro was completely quiet about this all week, <laughs> but she's kind of like, yeah. what has Leah got now? Like Leah should be the one who's attacking the teals and the greenies and, and calling them names and saying the territory sticking up for the territory and its gas. I mean, that's the other yeah. thing is we saw the chief minister come out as a full proponent of uh, of the gas industry here and and this petrochemical mm. hub or you know the middle arm precinct uh, as it is uh, defending that and saying it's only the teals and the trolls who want to talk this down and the territory's not for turning. Well, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of territorians. Now, this also goes back to to, to this, these old ideas uh, in the territory that we know are very popular for leaders, and they've been doing this since you know before self government is attack Canberra, of course, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, and we, we've we've talked about that before, and it doesn't just <laughs> seem it doesn't land the same punch when it's this particular government up here because they are so yeah. bad. That everyone's like, well, actually, we wouldn't mind hearing what Canberra has to say at this point. You guys have screwed us pretty bad. Yeah. $10 billion debt. It's probably and, better uh, to do it when you're not in Canberra as well. <laughs> yeah. And the out of control crime going on. We're, we're willing to listen to Canberra. In fact, we, we probably need them yeah. to come in and help us here. Actually, be quiet. Please, let's listen to Canberra. <laughs> I heard this uh, headline on, on Mix, and they and this has just made me laugh. And they said, like, independent MLA, Kesey Puric has backed the chief minister and her attacks on do-gooders. And I thought, <laughs> right. like, wait, what? And I, and I burst out laughing because, of course, Kesey Perk's going to come out because she knows that old-school style of, oh, I'm just a good Territorian and uh, those yeah, people yeah. in Canberra don't know what's going on up here. But well, then the way that they phrased that, <laughs> yeah, but the way they phrased that, that they're attacking do-gooders. And it's like, well, you missed the word Southern in there and people know what that means in the territory now but there's enough people here who would have heard that and been like what do you mean they're attacking do-gooders that, yeah that sounds horrible why is the, the next time there? you see someone getting attacked at like a shopping center or something <laughs> yeah. do-gooders beware don't help <laughs> <laughs> yeah man it's um yeah it's, but then look that that's what and at least it connected for keys of Turk. so if yeah, that's true if natasha files was to reach just one person in that speech i'm glad it was keys of Turk. Mm. Um, but look, otherwise, I think that what we saw there, like I said, was kind of the start of this campaign, of this election campaign. We're 12 months out now. Uh, uh, expect more of this Iron Lady type of stuff, I guess. And, you know, like I said, though, she used um, the Southerners, and we'll say that the uh, the journalists down there uh, didn't have a, a, a great knowledge of the independent mm. or of the Northern Territory. Um and uh, she kind of exploited that. And to say things like, well, go read the Pepper report. You know, she she lambasted some uh, reporter who got up and she said, well, you haven't read the Pepper inquiry and you don't know how we can do this. And, and, we did it. and you haven't followed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if they had known a little more, they would have said that. And I think um, <laughs> they left that saying, oh, well, we're all going to go read it. Well, not only that, but the probably the more important report right now is their uh, implementation record on those recommendations from the Pepper yes. Inquiry. We know some pretty big things 
they haven't implemented yet. And she didn't want to yeah. talk about that. But that was kind of the whole theme, too. And this is kind of gets into where uh, the, 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 the real mess happened. And that is that she thought that she could. So she was down there, you know, spruiking the Northern Territory and not thinking that her dirty little secrets from up here wouldn't follow her all the way down there to Canberra. Yeah. And lo and behold, they did. And, uh, of course, that came in the form of, uh, of Laura Tingle, of course, the uh, National Press Club's uh, president. president. And yeah. also we know her from ABC, uh, chief political correspondent, and uh, all the work she's done over many years. And so she, uh, you know, I, I think it was second question in, was just, you know, Chief Minister, I'm going to ask you this, and I can because I'm the president of the Press Club here. And she said, why is that ban on the anti-independent happening, and shouldn't you be lifting it, given it's broken a lot of important stories in the territory? Mm. Uh, she said, shouldn't you lift that ban in the name of press freedom and broader debate in the Northern Territory? Files appeared annoyed by that question. Now, I'm telling you, Pete, she did not expect this. Yes. Like she went down yeah, yeah. there thinking, I'm going to kick off our campaign here. I'm the Iron Lady. You got this all ready to go. You got the speech. Remember to bring up Thatcher. Yep, yep. I got it. I'm ready to go. She delivers that. And then, you know, looking like a, a child uh, at the big kid's table here after she's <laughs> totally caught off guard by this question, clearly. Um, and like I said, you know, she, she completely misread the room at this point too because this is a room full of journalists yeah <laughs> and so she says um uh she's like i said she appeared annoyed and just kind of wanted it to go away and she said uh but she's nodding and that was the funniest thing i had to say that just in the video that i saw for and there when when laura tingle's saying you know you, you ban the independent they've broken these important stories she's just nodding the mm. whole time <laughs> like, yes they did yes, yes. yep yep <laughs> I, I, yes and i've been banning them and i don't know why but yeah um and they <laughs> said and so she was annoyed with the question she said i think we're gonna have to disagree on this one we feel that it's a blog page and it's not a professional media outlet tingle without missing a beat said it's won all sorts of awards for its coverage mm. files and says Even i think by independent you know, journalists as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and from across the country, from interstate. Yeah, not, I mean, not from the Northern Territory. No, these these are like, yeah, you know, these awards, the Anti Media Awards, are hosted by the MEAA and the Walkley yeah. Foundation. Yeah, like, yeah. Th these are professional media outlets, and they're professional journalists, uh, journalists all over the country who, who, mm. who judge these. And of course, we've won three. We've won the best crime court reporting two years ago, and for the last two years consecutively, won best news coverage. So, you know, Tingle raises that just matter-of-factly, and then you could tell that Files is like, well, why didn't you just drop it after I said it's a blog page? And so she doubles down and says, I think we're, you know, she says, we can use our valuable time here, uh, and but it's for us, it's not a professional media organization. There's been a lot of misinformation, and it's not a professional organization. Mm. Now, that is not true. <laughs> that is completely untrue. She did not even believe it to be true when she said that. Mm. It's highly defamatory as me as the editor of the Northern Territory of the NT Independent, that she knows that she knows who I am. She knows my background. She knows I've been a journalist for more than 20 years. Uh, you know, she knows that we've won these awards. She knows that this is part of this disengage and discredit approach that the government's taken. And we, we look no further than just back in June at estimates when Mark Monaghan was on the same kind of wavelength here. And it almost appears as though they've had a meeting and they've decided to drop the whole 
you know, we're not going to talk to the independent because we don't like the owner. I mean, yeah. of course, we pointed out the holes in that. I mean, but they, yet they still talk to the empty news whose owner is Rupert Murdoch. I'm sure that <laughs> as much as Natasha Files is turning into Margaret Thatcher, I'm pretty sure she still doesn't think that uh, the Rupert Murdoch's <laughs> done good things for people here. Um mm. Anyway, yeah, it, it just, you could tell that, and, and back in the in estimates, it was like they had this disengaged and discredit strategy. So Monaghan, when he was asked at estimates um, about the fuel cart stuff and why he allowed those MLAs to take it, he said, oh, well, it was a blog that broke that story. You know, it was a Facebook page, and uh, we don't really care uh-huh. about that. Yeah, and, and it's like, well, yes, we have a Facebook page. I don't know how you, you don't get this. You can click on the story, and it takes you to our website, which is the NT <laughs> Independent Online News Publication. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, it seemed to me that, that this has been the new approach, is to disengage and discredit and just, well, no, nobody should read it. And I think it goes deeper than that, too. I think that there's issues. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, it just, it, it, you know, I had to, we, we did the story about this and, uh, you know, I refuted um, what Files said here because, you know, it just is completely untrue, mm. um, you know, and, and and my statement at the time, I was saying the whole country has now seen our chief minister's devious mind in action, where she immediately results to bold-faced lies and unfounded attacks when the facts line up against her. The more we all passively permit her to lie to all of us, the more emboldened those lies become and the further the truth drifts. And I, and yeah. honestly, Pete, I believe that. And uh, yeah. because I've, we've seen it, right? I mean, correct. this, you know, files the liar stuff is, 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 a, is a creation of, of her own. Uh, this is her not being upfront with people and wear and tear. I mean, I think yeah. people were commenting on this story and just writing yeah, wear and tear. Yeah. That's going to follow her forever because she wasn't upfront with Territorians about it mm. because she lied about it. So, the you know, this is going on now. We've seen that and the whole country's seen that, that she just will resort to a lie instead of explaining things properly. Like it's, a, mm. it's a, 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 an easy expedient to get out of the situation that she finds herself in let's just lie and we'll figure it out later and then that's not good enough for a leader no. uh, no. i think yeah. the point also chris that you made about about that i think it also it, it permeates the sort of uh wider society as well because uh, you know all of the things that are going on i'm not going to mention them by name because you know everyone gets offended by everything these days but there's so many issues that are going on right now at home or at a party, you and I will sit there and everyone will sit there and say, oh, that's a load of rubbish. Why do people go on with this or that? But if you don't say it publicly, then it allows it to continue to, to gain momentum. And so this is yeah. why it's time now for those in the middle, the sensible center, as Leon liked, used, used to refer to all of us or them, mm. have got to say things. I've got to say, no, I'm not putting up with this anymore. Yeah. We're not. We're not taking these lines and not saying anything any longer. We all must stick up for what's, you know, what we actually believe in, and not feel fear for yeah. saying it because someone's going to shout you down. Yeah, and it, and it, and at times in Darwin, it just seems like that gets more difficult to do, yeah. especially when you know it's so close, and we know that so many businesses rely on, you know, government contracts, right? And yeah. then we yeah. know it's a public service town. 
And we know that and that it's hard to, to take that stand sometimes. But I mean, we see where this is going and we talked about it all crumbling down. I mean, does anyone have much faith left in any of our institutions anymore? And, you yeah. know, go back and listen to any of the other podcasts where we get into great detail and, and discuss exactly what's going on. And, and a lot of those and the, the lack of integrity in those agencies that we need that, that, that needs to have integrity. Um, yeah, and so that gets difficult. And I was I was talking to the ABC about that, uh, and they had, had asked me, um, and this was the national ABC radio, and they did a, a piece today about that. And um, she was saying, you know, how difficult is it? Uh, you know, has this ban affected you guys, you know, financially? And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I said, hey, look, you know, we've we've had two two people in here who had to to sell ads who threw their hands up in the air and just left because. Yep. They just couldn't do it. They, you know, they they would go and and companies would say, "Hey, we love the NT Independent. We love what they're doing, but we can't be advertising because the government will take it out on us, and we won't get contracts." Yeah. Now, you know, whether or not that's true or not, that's perception, right? Like Owen would say, "Well, look, my company still gets government contracts, and I own <laughs> the NT Independent." But um, I think for a lot of people, they just get the sense, you know, oh, the government's going to... And how, how are we living in this place, Pete? Like, how are we living where well, we're afraid of this? As and, you're saying that, I'm like, oh, so that's now democracy, is it? Yeah. Well, and not only that, but we've also got, you know, interference. The government interfering in what are supposed to be yeah. separate agencies running. And we talked about that woman, the marketing manager from uh, uh, DCM, Department of Chief Minister, yep. coming in and overseeing police communications because the crime stuff was getting so out of hand that they couldn't fix the problem. So they figured, let's just control what facts are getting out to people. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've talked about that every week for the past two months here on this. And we have. But it's yep. still happening, right? And yeah, it is. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. The other thing too, Chris, is listening to all of that and listening to what you've said, there's two sort of themes that stick out greatly. I wonder if there's not a bit of subtext in that whole concept of the territory's not for turning. Well, let's look at that. The territory's not for turning. So by all accounts, and I'm not just giving my personal opinion here, but anybody I ever speak to who chooses to give me their opinion on or off the record tells me how such a terrible job the current government's doing. The Look at the policing and safety situation. Mm-hmm. Look at the economy side of things. Mm-hmm. Look at tourism. Everything they've touched has turned to custard. Guess what? The territory's not for turning. We're not going to change any of it. <laughs> We're just going to ride it into the ground. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we cannot stay the course. We do need to turn. We yeah. need to pivot. We need to do maybe a complete U-turn in some yeah. areas because what's going on here is just remarkable. I mean, it's just unheard of that this would happen anywhere else. And, um, you, you, you know, I, I think it's good when, and I was really glad that, and of course it was Jane Barden and our friend Jane Barden, who's been around, been a journalist in Darwin for a while. Mm-hmm. But of course, she's now working for the national radio. And yeah. uh, when she wanted to get involved, when she called up and said, hey, can I come over and interview you. I want to do a story about what Files said. I, I thought, yeah, because, you know, we got to get this on a national stage. And I've always been saying that. And, you know, even when I was working at ABC, I was like writing the indictment of this place for the rest of the country to see. And, you know, all the failings there and how we were taking money. And Jane, in the interview with me that, that appeared uh, this morning and this afternoon on national radio, she had asked me, well, why should the rest of Australia care about this? Right. Yeah. And and it's yeah. such a great question. And I it's said, Jane, question. you know, 
And then here's the answer. Uh, the rest of Australia is paying for this, whether it knows it or not. Correct. They're funding this dysfunctional, Correct. you know, uh, corrupt place where all of this stuff is allowed to go on, where citizens live in fear of the government. The only thing they fear more are crazed juveniles on the street smashing in their doors and coming yep. into their bedrooms at night and they can't go shopping buy groceries uh it, it it's just crazy and and so i i thought that 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 was really good that abc you know at least got to broadcast that nationally today so that some mm. people have a sense and you know i'd contacted the press club uh before files speech to just make them aware if they weren't already about her abuses uh of yeah. democracy and the free press and uh, uh they 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 seem to to get that eventually, I guess, by the time that, that address happened, it was good to see Laura Tingle call her out on it because, it yeah, we like, we need to be bringing this stuff up because, yeah, and as Peter Gresta said on, on Jane's piece on ABC Radio today, you know, it does set this dangerous precedent that who else is going to start trying this stuff? Correct. correct. They've got no, no grounds to do it. And, yeah. No, correct. And when you first started this piece, you were talking about the fact that, you know, this is uh, potentially their sort of soft launch of running into the election in 12 months' time. Yeah. And they're trying to put a new face on things. You know, there's that expression that you can put lipstick on a such and such, but you still got a such and such. I think you can that, say pig, yeah. yeah that, that was that was exactly the expression I was thinking. Of. Well, <laughs> but you're not calling her that, but that's no, the no, saying. That's, that's the yeah. expression. Yeah, you can, you can dress expression. up the pig however you like, but it's still yeah. just a pig yeah. with lipstick on it. Yeah, well, and you know, but this was it. They just wanted to to set the tone here and to kind of to kind of push the CLP party even further right, right? That they've taken the center yep. right now. Yeah. And um <laughs> and, and so the CLP now is like fringe right. And then but they've got their own issues. They're still fighting over the voice stuff and and uh, oh, yeah. and all of that. And so they don't and then they don't say anything all week after Files says this. I, I thought that was really surprising politically that they didn't So Chris, I had a conversation with my children this evening and they were asking me about politics and they asked me if I liked the current prime minister and, you know, some other political leaders who they've heard of. And um, I said, well, not really, but that doesn't matter because I said the opposition by and large is so weak at the moment that they don't, they don't present a proper opposition. Mm-hmm. And one of the kids said to me, oh, so when they, have an, when they have an election, do they go up against each other? I said, yeah. And uh, yeah. and, and I, he said, oh, right, I didn't know that. I said, well, yeah, I guess you wouldn't, you know, as a kid. Yeah, he's not voting. <laughs> exactly. And I said, so, um, and he said, oh, so why don't the opposition win? And I said, well, can you tell me who the leader of the opposition is? And he said, no. I said, well, that's why, mate, because <laughs> no one knows them. Like in Victoria, yeah. and this was the example he gave, because, you know, Daniel Andrews is heavily coming under fire for a myriad of issues, oh, yeah, yeah. and rightly so. But I said, well, the current Victorian opposition, you couldn't name the leader if you wanted to. I can't tell you who it is, and I live there. For, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. know either, Pete. So yeah. that's the problem. And yeah. unfortunately, in the Territory, we've got the same issue, exactly as you've just said, where, okay, we know the leader and we know certain bits about it, but it's fractured within itself. So therefore, <laughs> it's not operating as a full humming engine, yeah, it, that's it, a problem. Yeah, it is, and they got to get their stuff straightened out here. And um, 
Yeah. And, and that's it. I mean, you've got such a dysfunctional government now, such a mm. scandal plague with allegations of corruption all the time. And we'll get into that later, just the most recent stuff. But, you, you know, the opposition should be picking up points big time on that and holding them accountable Correct. and bringing Correct. up all the corruption stuff. But they seem Correct. to think only the crime's going to get them elected. But yeah, like I said, the territorians will not vote for a corrupt government. And once that's no. proven, um, you know, see you later. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Just something quickly before we go on this one, we'll move on to the next story. But um, in that ABC article, which I read, and I encourage everyone to read, it's it's up on uh, abc.net.au, and you can just literally type in ABC NT Independent, and it'll come up as the first story. I thought it was really interesting that someone from the police decided to clarify uh, the situation with regards to the NT Independent, yeah. and it said, <laughs> while the NT police force uh, sorry, NT Police Fire and Emergency Services has provided clarification responses to the NT Independent. We do not recognize the online site as a reputable media outlet and prioritize other local outlets, including our own communication channels, first. Yeah. It's like, right, what exactly does that garbage mean? Uh, Pete, that, that's really frightening. And that, that's where, you know, I think Turner was saying this was all getting very Orwellian where the, you know, the department of chief minister was bringing in this person to oversee police communications. And I think, yeah. and I, I question whether the ABC could, could rightfully quote an NT police spokesperson. That might be very well a department <laughs> of chief minister spokesperson yeah. or even an office of the chief minister spokesperson. Now they've created a term here. Like this, we've provided clarification responses. Yeah. I, uh, that's not a thing no, <laughs> in media. Not. And, and, and to say, oh, we don't recognize them. Oh, we send them stuff, but we send it to other people first. It's like, yeah. that's not a response. That is just utter garbage. No, and, I, and, I, and I'm glad you brought it up because I, I got to set the record straight on this, right? Because this is a big issue and I just want everybody to know what's actually gone on and I'm not breaking any confidences in doing this. Um, the, the NT police did start responding to the NT independent and it was about March or something, I think. And uh, uh, this coincided with around the time that this uh, uh, their new director of communications, a woman named Margaret McKeon, came on. Maggie, as yep. they called her. So, so Maggie um, uh, clearly had this idea, and she wasn't from Darwin. I think she was involved in ADF or something before. Um, so she come in and thought, nah, well, we're going to talk to all the media here because that's the right thing to do. And we're not beholden to the government here. We're the anti-police and we need, mm. that's an operational matter and that's separate from government. And so, and so it happened that, you know, uh, and mostly that was Woody, of course, he does kind of the crime stuff more. And so yeah, he was started, he does. <laughs> and started writing to them and asking questions. And then like, we'd always done that, right? I mean, we had done yeah. that for, for, for going on three years and then they finally started responding. Yeah. And because Rob Cross had left, Chalker was still there. I think that's the surprising thing. Everybody's yeah. like, oh, but it was Chalker. Well, no, Chalker was still there. And they started responding to us. Now, some of that other heavier stuff, maybe they wouldn't, but the, the, the stuff, the questions that we had about incidents and what had gone on, they were responding to us. And, and it seemed like everything was going well. Um, that both sides were happy with this new found relationship that, that, that should just be a normal thing between police and media. Um, but it, it was going well. 
And then we did the story and Woody broke the story about how the, the, the government brought in this marketing manager who was in charge of the, the territory master brand yeah. um, because the crime crisis was getting, <laughs> yeah, it was getting so out of hand that they needed to, to take steps not to address the problem, but to suppress what was getting out about it. So we did that story about this woman, Sita Basher, who, who, who was brought in uh, to oversee communications. And we do that story and that causes like, tremendous issues inside police and the government and they're yeah. you know crap in their pants um how did they find out about this how did they know about it you know we had in the story that they were moving everybody from um in the city there and they'd be building down to the peter mccauley center and they mm. actually stopped doing that we found out later because of our story like we blew it wide open so they <laughs> aborted all of their plans to do this but now the significance of that was that it showed that political interference into police. Now, it was around that time, as I said, and then a couple of weeks later, um, uh, well, I think we're, we, we, we're made aware shortly after this uh, department marketing manager, the crime manager, crime marketing manager comes in that, that we're told by people that uh, the police will not be responding to you anymore. Mm. This, is, this coincides with when the Department of Chief Minister brought in a marketing manager to manage yeah, yeah. the crime. So they said, yeah. first thing they said, clearly, when they came in was, do not talk to the anti-independent anymore, because right. they were talking to us. So then what happens is Margaret McKeon gets sacked. Inexplicably, she's gone. And yeah. then, I think even just before that, the police had taken investigators off of you know detectives off of serious crime to come in actual crimes yeah real crimes to come in and interrogate the media unit because they thought well maybe this the information came from them maybe it came from government but we got to go and interrogate the media unit um you know this this is ridiculous like this is just so crazy and and you just see the political interference everywhere here um but that's what happens so for this line to to suggest to tell the abc that uh We've provided clarification responses, which is, I don't know what that means. We do not recognize the online site as a reputable media outlet. That's not true. Like, you don't respond. Why would they respond to us? Like, it's just the whole thing. Even Files' um, nonsense or her spokesperson here, where the ABC went and said, um, yeah. you know, why don't you prove what you said about the anti-independent and Chris Walsh as the editor? Why don't you show us where they publish misinformation? Um, well, this government unknown, unnamed spokesperson, which I think they should have named the person here. But anyway, the un, unnamed anti-government spokesperson did not supply any specific examples of misinformation. I that was wow. Good, I that. Yeah, because, yeah. And so instead, the spokesperson said the ban was due to the outlet's ownership by Owen Pike, not because it was journalistic standards. Well, yeah, yeah, it's but you just, every minute. You've, you've gone, yeah, and you said that, and now they say the independence owned by an individual who's made inappropriate derogatory comments toward members of the government. This is something our government does not stand for. But then they add this, they tack this on, and therefore we do not recognize this online blog as a reputable outlet. They're mixing too many different things in here. It's, just a couple of things there. Um, this is the same government or representatives of who uh, hid or defended a now uh, convicted heinous crime. Uh, Child rapist, know. sex offender, yeah. 
this 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 is the I mean the hypocrisy in all of this is outrageous. And not only that, you can't say on Monday that the reason that we don't recognize it is because of X and then on Thursday say it's because of Y. Pick a reason and stick <laughs> then, to it. But then they went back to X at the end of saying it's Y and then, <laughs> and then say, no, it's an online blog that isn't reputable, which goes mm. back to what she said. So, look, Pete, and I and I told ABC this and I told you this the other day, um, we're, we'll have more to tell you as things yep. kind of happen, but I, I'll just say that, that we are still very much uh, uh, exploring our legal options on this. Mm. And that's yeah. what I'm prepared to say as a statement at this time. Um, and, you know, I, I think I'll have more that I'll be able to tell you at a, at a later date. But uh, what she said was highly defamatory. And she knows me personally. The ABC story, I think, summed that up pretty good. Um, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would suggest that she did not uh, in any way believe what she was saying at the press club to be true. Mm. Um, but she said it to uh, to get out of it. And look, yeah, like I said, we're weighing our legal options, exploring all of that mm. a little more another time. And just lastly on that story, if um, every government organization or business or person who Owen poked fun at, stopped doing business with him, then uh, he would have been run out of the territory years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Let's move on to another story now. With uh, This is one that really just won't go away. Keeps bubbling up to the surface whenever we think <laughs> it's finally gone. And that is the $10 million NT Beverages Corruption Investigation has now been referred. I'm going to call it back to the Chief Minister. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I, it, that's pretty serious. When it when it comes when it when it was given to the ICAC, yeah, and the ICAC does an investigation, and he determines he gets a feeling that something's not right here, and he says that, and he said, "Look, but I've I've kind of hit a roadblock here, and I can't investigate this any further." But what was his, he said that he remains uh, concerned about the manner in which the investment in anti beverages occurred. Uh, so he gives it back to the chief minister and he's, you know, and basically suggesting that it be referred to another entity to be investigated because he can't because of jurisdictional issues. Now, can you explain that, Chris? Because when I read the story, I was like, I don't understand how government money that was spent to basically prop this business up or make it function is now being considered outside of the jurisdiction for an ICAC investigation. (laughs) Yeah, it's very strange. And it goes back, way back to 2016, probably even before that, I think 2015. And this was the previous Giles CLP government's idea. And it was Dave Tolner's idea as treasurer at the time. And what he said was, (laughs) yeah, what he said was, uh, let's take the sales. So this is when they sold TIO, right? And uh, they said, well, let's take $200 million of that money and we'll put it into, and that was 400 and some mil, as I recall, when they sold TIL. And people were outraged. They were protesting in the streets back then. I was covering <laughs> that at the time. Um, so he said, let's do this, and we're going to set up what's called an infrastructure development fund. Now, the purpose of this was to uh, make decisions at arm's length of government uh, as to you know where funding would go for major infrastructure projects. Now, the other part of that was that it was going to, to collect another $800 million, bringing it to $1 billion fund of private investment and, uh, and, and set this up. Anyway, uh, as we've seen, I mean, getting private investment in the Northern Territories is, is proving to be very difficult these days. <laughs> Problematic. It, as it was back then. Um, so he sets up this fund, right? And 
and you know, and there's there's a whole long story about it, but anyway, Tolner gets a maid of his. This is all true. Like this has been reported. I've reported it at ABC over years um, to set up this infrastructure development fund. Uh, there's pearls being given to Tolner's wife at a fundraiser by this guy Les Fallick, who became the chair of the IDF. And that's his real name, Pete. And I think, uh, I don't know if I ever did that story, but there's something, the curse of the phallic pearl and how how this all came about was really shady stuff. But it's all been reported, and I can say that, and people can go and just Google that, and it's on ABC, and I reported it. Um, uh, so anyway, so this infrastructure development fund starts coming together, and, uh, and uh, they're not, the election happens. And Labor had said, well, we kind of like the idea on principle. And so they come in and they say, uh, yeah, okay. And so, and so, you know, um, Madison is the treasurer, the first treasurer we get in this labor government. And she signs <laughs> off on it. Now, I questioned her about that at the time. I said, why are you doing this when it's, it's going into this private company? Like infrastructure development fund was set up as a private company, which meant that those same controls, those same checks and balances that would be in a government agency dealing with public funds weren't there. It, yeah. it, it operated, and I talked to a guy when I was at ABC, um, a legal expert who talked about that. That's very strange, he was saying, because you're giving basically, you know, the scrutiny of private companies to this company that's managing this much money of public funds. It, it's really unusual. But Madison, and I've got to be very clear about this, because Files likes to say, oh, that was all CLP stuff. Madison signed off on this. Madison yeah. established this. CLP never spent any of the money, right? Of uh, the two hundred million, is that what you're asking? No, so that yeah. just went into that fund. To the fund, yeah. And so, the, but and they didn't do anything in the two years that they operated. They didn't do anything. But then they do one investment, and it's to a company called NT Beverages. Now, yeah. you know, I found that out, and I said, "Ooh, something's not right here." So I started digging around when I was at uh, at ABC, and I found all of these issues with this company. Just for me. As a journalist, I just you weren't even trying. Yeah, basically, that was it. And I had other things going on. I I I started looking into it because something's not right here. Something is not right. In the two years the fund operated, only made that one ten million dollar investment. But anyway, Empty Beverages, uh, I found they were a company that had lied about the source of its water. They said Mm. it was from this artesian aquifer. It Mm. wasn't. Um, It operated a fake charity. The, the never made a donation. It was chaired by Mix 104.9 presenter Katie Wolf. I'm not suggesting that she did anything wrong in yeah. this. And you can click on that link to the story on ABC and see what she said about that. She said, oh, I didn't know. Uh, in two years, I never did anything. I was the chair of that, so I just resigned from it. And it's like, did you honestly think that that was what being chair of a charity is, that you sit around and do nothing? Anyway, whatever, that's her. And I'm not saying she did anything wrong. Um but also this company had promoted its waters offering, quote, incredible health benefits, uh, which our independent water test showed was no better than tap water. Now, that's when I was at ABC <laughs> and I took it to a place. We got it tested. Yeah, yeah. And then the joke was that it was Palmerston tap water because the aquifer was called something Palmerston aquifer. And right. somebody at ABC was like, oh, so we can say it's like Palmerston. Well, you got to be a little careful on that. It's not quite, but it's not from the aquifer that they claimed it was from. Right. And, uh, and yeah, the water itself, when we tested it, was no better than tap water really anywhere. Yeah. And they were running this fake charity. And this guy set this up and he said, uh, oh, yeah, but I gave $50,000 to Sport NT. 
So I went and I checked with them and they said, yeah, 50,000. They said, well, we've got a $50,000 sponsorship agreement with him where he, we put Acuna Springs water uh, logos up. And I was like, well, but that's a business transaction. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, it's a sponsorship agreement. It's not a, a charitable donation. Yeah, yeah. But this guy was claiming this, right? So I'm, I'm exposing all this stuff. And I'm going back to the government and to the infrastructure development fund. Now, keep in mind this IDF thing was set up with this guy, Les Fallick, real name, um, and, and James Paspali, too, real name. I don't know. Maybe, you know, this guy's always pops his head up when some government thing's going on, got his hand out. Um, and then we had our old friend, Jody Ryan. Now, she was representing the government. We also had these other guys, Macquarie, former Macquarie bank boss, Bill Moss, and future fund managing director, Mark Burgess. But back to Jody Ryan. So she's the one government representative on this board, right? Mm. And we're finding these issues out. And then, you know, I'm going to her saying, like, why did you guys approve this? Like, we're, we're showing all this stuff. Like, did you guys do any due diligence whatsoever Just before this? Look, man, one thing. Yeah, I found out that, 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 like, three months before they gave this $10 million investment to them, uh, the government was after them for not paying tax, for not paying the, the payroll tax. And take beverages. Yes, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. And, and then three months later, they get $10 million through this infrastructure development fund. Now, yeah. so... I think the government misread it. And when when they went to lend the money, someone thought it was lend the money to the highest risk thing you can do rather than the lowest <laughs> yeah, risk? Yeah. It, it has to be. And, you know, we were going to this company called ICG, too. Now, this is Mike Fitzpatrick was heavily involved in this infrastructure yeah. capital group, right? Now, uh, the IDF paid ICG, infrastructure capital group, a million dollars a year. I think it was more than a million a year to manage the fund and recommend investments, right? And then when they made those, there was this whole other entity brought in um that also oversaw the spending and the funding and stuff and like they had all of these private companies then working even though it was all flooded with taxpayer money with with public money um these private companies were set up now i i don't know so now what riches has said is that he concluded his investigation late last year after receiving advice from the solicitor general that infrastructure capital group that's that firm that had recommended the $10 million investment and was managing it uh, was not considered a public body, despite being paid more than $1 million annually to operate the fund. Now, Riches wrote, as the investigation continued, it became apparent that the conduct of ICG should be the primary focus. He said, however, once further business records were obtained, it became doubtful that ICG was a public body within the meaning of the ICAC now he added and and this is where so i'm like okay at first honestly i thought okay i remember that you know and i went back and i read my stories and checked my notes on things and i said okay the, the infrastructure development fund this 200 million dollar body um was set up and it was heavily criticized because i wrote the stories at the time that it shouldn't have been set up as a private entity <laughs> but it received 200 million dollars of taxpayer money which makes it a public body through the act right but i was thinking is that what he's saying but he's saying infrastructure capital group um this other private company inside that is what he couldn't investigate but i would suggest and i don't know i mean he said he got advice from the solicitor general but if you've got 200 million dollars of public money going into this bigger body and then they're spending money 
into yeah. infrastructure capital group. That should still be because it is money unless IDF so. is considered private. And then, but what it does, and then it becomes like a money laundering operation <laughs> where all scrutiny is taken off. Like, and that's, mm. is that what it was designed for essentially to do? Now, he says this, Richard says, and added that while he, quote, could have continued to investigate the conduct of the NT Infrastructure Development Fund, that bigger body, he said, I formed the view that there would be little utility in doing so in the absence of jurisdiction to draw conclusions about ICG. Now, um, I again, I'm not sure. I don't know about his reasoning there because the board oversaw what the hell was the board doing? We were paying this. This thing was costing two hundred thousand dollars a month. And a lot of that was on yeah. board members fees and this little joker, Les Fallick, real name um, coming up. He calls himself a recantor. Anyway, this guy was the joker and he wouldn't answer any of my questions. Um uh, but yeah, like I, that was costing us so much money and I think it's worth him actually, because what the hell were they doing as a board if they can't accept responsibility for the, for the investment decisions that were made? He it should have been investigating that. It makes no sense. It makes no sense that it costs a million dollars a year to recommend in the end, one organization and dump 10 million plus on it soon after. And how could how could there be such fees involved with managing money for something that didn't do anything? Yeah, you could stick it. it in the bank and make money out of it. Uh, yeah, money. absolutely. Right, absolutely. And that's what we were making those points back then. And so the government came in and they disbanded it eventually. All right. All right. But this was after, you know, Empty Beverages goes bankrupt just months after getting this money. Yeah. Um, which was just so suspicious. And it was after I was, you know, exposing them for things. And then I went on Christmas holidays in 2018 and the whole and place so went that. under. Yeah, I never came back. Um, they didn't. So, uh, yeah, like, look, yeah, this whole thing smelled really bad. So, but Rich is just saying this. He's saying, yeah, it doesn't look good. I think something happened here. I can't investigate further. I'm giving it back to you, Chief Minister. Yeah referrals if you see fit to make you know it's up to her as he says to make the thing but i'll tell you this if you're the leader of a jurisdiction and somebody the high cack of all people comes and says this 10 million dollar thing something went wrong here something went yeah. bad and all she has to do is refer to the empty police yeah now she's so they've refused- launched a full investigation then have they chris soon after that happened uh who's that the empty- the- yeah right yeah no what the empty police yeah. yeah, no, so this yeah. is it. We go to pause and we said, so yeah, you've referred this, right? Like the, this report was dated May. Now it only came out late last week in Parliament that it was tabled. Yep. But you've known about this for two so months. Had months, yeah. Yeah, what have you done? And she wouldn't respond to us. Now, <laughs> luckily, the ABC she didn't went, do a Canada chin throughout the bin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Um, so the ABC was good that they followed this here and they got to ask her, what did you do? Yeah. And surprise, surprise, they didn't, she didn't respond to them either about what she's oh. going to do about this. So we so got they're, another they're story. They're not going to get struck off as unprofessional non-media organization, <laughs> are they? <laughs> well, look, she, she said the, her statement to, to the ABC was, oh, this was a CLP-led initiative, the IDF. And uh, we, we took it apart when we realized it wasn't working properly and we put it all in the jobs fund. But wouldn't comment on what she's doing no, with that. It wasn't not no. working properly. It was working fine until you decided to do something, which you ballsed uh, up. Well, yeah, well, yeah, but the IDF wasn't. I mean, the oh, IDF yeah, well. wasn't working right. But they had signed off on it, right? It yeah. wasn't the CLP. She signed up. They signed off on it. So, um, uh, but she said, yeah, look, that's 
uh, the issue here, and then she wouldn't say that she was referring it. Um, now we've got we've got uh, Leah Finocchiaro here in the story, and she's saying the CLP referred it to the ICAC, and she's oh, really? saying, well, this is not surprising for us to see that files that once again is sweeping this under the rug. Yeah. Uh, because look, this is this is what we were getting at earlier. This is this corruption issue. The chief minister has just been told by the ICAC that he believes that that, that something happened, possibly corrupt, into the ten million dollar investment decision. Ten million dollars of public money, and she doesn't care, and she doesn't care to pursue that any further by just saying into police, "I want you to investigate this." Whoever AFP, because of this is an interstate yeah. company, you know, whoever has to do it. All she has to do as the chief minister is sign off on it and say, I want you to investigate this. Uh, she's not going to do that. And this is pretty typical of this government. Once again, avoid scrutiny. And when, But this is like, this is, you know, unless she's implicated in this, why isn't she doing this? Unless maybe some other people are. Now we know well, the people on the board yeah. and we know that Madison signed off on this thing, that the, the, the creation of the IDF, which she shouldn't have done. Because um, she could have restructured it. Because she could have said, "Yeah, I like the idea in principle, but let's do it where there's public scrutiny and we get to see things." But the thing is, when, when you lack the uh, you yeah. know experience or the the wherewithal to do that, mm -hmm. then yes. these are the sorts of decisions that get made. Absolutely, and then this is where we're at now. So, look, there's there's pressure. The opposition's putting pressure on it. I'm sure Robin Lamley is quoted heavily in those ABC stories that I did. She was across this and asking questions yeah. from the beginning as well. Uh, so, I imagine she'll add her voice in here. But the pressure really needs to be put on files here. Just do something about this. I mean, the ICAX told you it's not right. Just yeah. do something. It's such a basic one. Unfortunately, yeah. it falls into this basket of all these other things that. Are just part of a um, a litany of disasters that this government have overseen. All right, give me one more. Give me one more. Let's go. I'm going <laughs> for another one. What do you got next for me here? All because right. I'm sure this well, is more corruption. What's going on? I knew you'd think this was coming, and this is a story <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't use any more adjectives for these stories, so I'm just going to say it. Damn it! There's confusion over. Criminal complaint investigation against a senior NT police detective. Yeah, uh, like we said, but uh, what do we say? The, the democratic institutions crumbling all around us. Yeah. Here we go yet again. Now this is serious stuff. This is pretty serious that you've got criminal complaint against a senior detective. Now he's uh, he is uh, Sergeant Wayne Newell. Course. Now he's the guy who was one of the, the the lead investigators. Played a key role, let's say, in the investigation into Zach Rolf and the charges that uh, came came of that. Uh, now, what we know and we can confirm now from two sources, uh, two highly placed sources with knowledge of this, is that the ICAC's not investigating this. Now, when this happened back in June, the complaint was filed by Rolf's lawyer. Uh, a guy named Luke Officer, he, he filed the complaint with Michael Murphy, the acting commissioner. He accused Sergeant Wayne Newell of interfering in the evidence of an expert witness in the Rolf murder case and withholding evidence that was favorable to Rolf's defense. Now, we've gone over that in great detail, and we, we know what we're talking about there. Um, now, what happened was the police, so the, they put out uh, Michael White, acting uh, deputy commissioner Michael White, 
told media um, on June 21st, this was ooh, a few days after, maybe almost five, about five days after the complaint was filed, that uh, he told the media the matter had been referred to the office of the ICAC to investigate. Right. So this is their thing. The ICAC acting as alibi or acting as dumpster for serious things. Oh, well. Wipe our hands with this. We've given it to the ICAC. We don't have to do anything now. Well, the ICAC doesn't have the resources to do this, nor should they be investigating criminal matters like this in some instances when you see this kind of stuff. So, and in fact, they can't. So, um, anyway, we, yeah, like I said, we have the sources now. We know that what happened now is that Michael Riches has gone back to them and said he's not investigating the criminal complaint. He's referred it back to the police. He has offered to provide oversight. I think it was something like that oversight that he would, uh, you know, they could run things by him, I guess, as an independent outsider. Yeah. Um, I think you got to set it up independently. I think you probably need the AFP involved in this at this point. Um, but look, yeah, Richards wouldn't say anything himself. We went to him and declined to comment. The police brass, of course, also did not respond to questions about where the investigation currently stands or if they have commenced it even. Uh, now, at the time of the complaint, back in June, Newell was in charge of the anti-police special references unit, which just happens to be Pete, the unit that would typically investigate criminal complaints against police officers. Uh, now, we understand he's since been transferred to the drug squad at the Peter McCauley Center, remains in his senior detective role. Uh, yeah, so that complaint, of course, it was filed incidentally seven weeks after former Commissioner Jamie Chalker, quote-unquote, retired from the role. Oh, right, I remember the joke someone told me. Earlier <laughs> <in the day. laughs> that's what we had to say. He retired. Um, alleged that Newell uh, had, had may have engaged in criminal conduct, such as, for example, perverting the course of justice. Oh, yeah. So we'll see where this goes. Now, yeah, uh, it also called for Murphy to initiate an independent investigation into the matter. Remember that that that, that Rolf had, had specifically mentioned in that, or his lawyer had that. Uh, you know, now that Chalker's gone, we're okay with the police investigating this. Yeah, but we weren't when Chalker was around. Um, mm. So yeah, look, and we know that the the accusations and this was in those uh, Pollock Proctor coronial reports about how Newell had. Uh, and these reports found, the coronal investigations have found that Newell had edited the expert independent use of force report by the U.S. criminologist Jeffrey Elpert to better suit the prosecution's case, which was later used in Zach Rolf's committal hearing to secure the murder trial. The complaint had also raised concerns about Newell's dealings with other expert witnesses involved in the case. Uh, and he hadn't given information uh, properly. The complaint also raised the issue of the Pollock Proctor coronial draft reports being suppressed by the police and only handed over to Rolf's lawyers after a subpoena was issued for their release. Uh, so like they said, uh, when one, this is uh, the complaint said, when one looks to the context of this case and its investigation, it gives the impression of an attempt to gather evidence to fit the prosecution case. At the very least, serious disciplinary action may be warranted. At this stage, of course, any outcome will depend upon a comprehensive and independent investigation being undertaken. Uh, now, it sounds like that's not happening. I mean, they just mm. want to wash their hands of it and say, oh, well, the, end of the, the ICAC's looking at it, so that's fine. Well, we don't know what they've done now. I think we're going on six weeks <laughs> where... Yep. 
since this complaint had been filed, this guy's still just meandering around now. He's in drug squad doing whatever he likes. But like, who is anyone investigating him? Or they just thought publicly they could get rid of it by saying the ICAC was dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, which we know was an issue that still needs to come up about the time Chalker called Riches right after the Rolf acquittal and said, yeah, right. So you were uh, overseeing this investigation, right? And I can say that. And this is all document. This is true. And 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 Richard said, "Yeah, no, no, you can't say that. I was not overseeing this investigation at all." And then and that must have really messed with Chalker. Said that's why he went out and mumbled on in that very infamous press conference where he didn't address anything. Um, and Richards has said though that he's still going to put something out about that. Uh, apparently, at the conclusion of the inquest into the death of Kumanjai Walker, the Richards will then release what his office's role in that investigation was and i guess it was, yeah anyway there it should have been because they actually said at the time that they were that the office of the icac was overseeing that and then they didn't um so but you can see where, where where the police try and mix and use it for whatever to deflect from their own problems and uh well we've just called them out on it and again the uh crime marketing manager has told them not <laughs> to get back to us so we haven't got any comment from Murphy, but I just raised that issue again, right? That um, it's a difficult situation, and I have no idea why this is dragging on so long to appoint a commissioner now. Uh, it looks like it would be something like November by the time we get a new one. Uh, and meanwhile, Murphy is, you know, doing whatever he can to appease his political masters in the hopes that he gets the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we've got some we've got some serious issues here still, Pete, and and including with this Rolf Walker stuff. Like, are we ever going to get to the bottom of it? Meanwhile, the inquest, like, it's all good for Riches to say, oh yeah, after the inquest. Well, the inquest was supposed to resume in July. It's now been pushed back to October. Yeah. Like, we're not going to get any end report, any conclusions on this until late next year. By the way, this is going now, and yeah. I mean, this yeah. is starting to be too long because. Um, but I guess, you know, on, on the other hand, we, we have what should be an investigation into some serious misconduct allegations um, and perverting the course of justice is pretty serious. Uh, yeah. We're not saying that Newell's done it. I mean, the, the investigation should be no, going on. Accusation, but, but, but you're it, investigating. Yeah, but again, the confusion is who the hell's investigating. Yeah, that's where yeah. we're at now. So what the hell's going on? So how do you think the... Um Overall brand strategy is working out on this, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think they need to get somebody new in there. But I'll tell you what, like with anything, you tell the truth, right? Like if you're trying to sell something, the product will sell itself if it's good. And, yeah. uh, you know, and you tell the truth about it. But these guys are incapable of doing that. And we've seen that over and over again. And um, they're going to come in, just fix the, 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 the root, you know of the problem here instead of trying to cover it up. And then the, the cover-up's always worse than the crime, as we say, Pete. That's what I've learned doing this podcast, Chris. Yeah. That's the, uh, the major outcome that I've learned. Uh, yeah. During the week, I was um, unsurprised to read the article regarding the recidivist young offenders who had their criminal records erased as uh, new laws have taken effect in the NT, Chris. <sighs> Look, uh, I think people knew about this, but I don't think that they knew. If you were just reading kind of the other media about it, you'd see that, um, you know, uh, labor kind of thumping their chests and saying, look, we're doing this for the kids. We're doing this for human rights. And look at us. We're so good. We're labor. Um, 
But I don't think that any of those stories would have given the um, the insight into what exactly it meant um, when they're raising the age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 12. Uh, now that was brought about by you know various different reasons, of course, recommendations of the Royal Commission into youth detention here. Um, uh, and they've, they've gone ahead and done it, and they've done it with, you know, it would seem from our sources and people we talked to inside the system that it was done before everything was ready. And it was just one of these pat-on-the-back labor things that they could, um, you know, go around and, and show people that they're doing something when, in fact, they have no idea what kind of damage this might cause and what the impact will mm. be. Now, our sources are telling us this, that roughly 30 young offenders with a long list of prior crimes across the NT have had their records wiped clean following these changes to the age of criminal responsibility, including fingerprints and DNA evidence deleted from police databases. So uh, sources, as we say, with knowledge of the crimes, said some of those offenders aged between 10 and 12 uh, had committed, quote, more armed robberies than they've had birthdays. And in some cases, those crimes included sexual assaults of smaller children. Now, the problem with this is this, is that the records of those offenses have all now been deleted from empty police databases. Now, we're told um, we had some more information today that it's not completely deleted. They got somehow they couldn't, but it's, it's deleted for all intents and purposes. And there's a note attached saying, do not access this. You cannot use this. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, so it seems like there's some it's screw like it's up been there. In the trash, but they can't empty the trash. Yeah, yeah, they screwed something up. No, no doubt they would screw it up. Um, <laughs> but look, the, the problems that this will cause, and I mean, we, we don't know yet, but I, I'll tell you that we just saw a thing with a 13 year old who, in Catherine yesterday in the afternoon, broke yeah. into a house with a knife and threatened a child. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if that 13 year old had a long list of other crimes, those have all been gone. And yeah. so when this guy's going to court, you're not going to see this. Now, our sources are saying this, that, uh, yeah, the, the, the fingerprints, DNA evidence from the crime scenes. Uh, some offenders on Tuesday there had their ankle monitoring bracelets removed and bail conditions revoked. The effect of this legislation, are, uh, uh, one of our sources said, on crime statistics will be profound. He said kind of sarcastically here, the public will be able to relax in the knowledge that crime has plummeted as these crimes are removed from statistics. So, uh, yeah, so that's it. As of Tuesday, young offenders aged 10 and 11 no longer considered criminally responsible for offenses and will not be arrested, charged, or sentenced for their crimes. Uh, so we were saying it, it immediately affected 20 young offenders in Darwin and 10 in Alice. Uh, ABC reported 53 cases were immediately dropped when that legislation came into effect. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we know why they've, they've brought this in. And of course, saying that, oh, well, we've got, you know, Kate Warden as territory families minister, not as police ministers, if that's not like a conflict there, too. Like these, these things are just, we don't just think about that. For a moment. Yeah, said, um, you know, where she's supposed to be protecting children, but on the other hand, she's with police. And that, that's just such a huge conflict. But that doesn't even register anymore in the NT. What a bad <laughs> that is to have the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, she said last week that her department, uh, territory families, had funded uh, $5 million into one 
diversion program to deal with the increased number of young offenders who cannot be held criminally responsible. She said, since the legislation was introduced in November last year, government agencies and service providers have worked collaboratively to put in place the On the Right Track program. It's got a cool name. Uh, mm. For children 11 years and under and their parents, when they show signs, they may engage in at-risk behavior. This is about preventing future crime and ensuring there are less future victims. Yeah. Yeah. That's look, five million people. And let me just put that in context. Some of these groups who were calling for the, the, the age to be raised for criminal responsibility were suggesting that the number to actually put into programs like this would be more aligned to three hundred million dollars. Right. Five, yeah. not a pitifully five million. Yeah, yeah. So it, yeah. Mm, it seems really inconceivable that they can be uh switching off ankle bracelets and uh, deleting bail conditions or whatever the words were that you use. I mean, surely those things have got to play out first. Can't we pick 30 or 40 kids who, yes, may have messed up as youngsters who are now no longer involved in that or have been placed with a good family or they're back with their own families and turning things around rather than ones who are actively involved in that scene right now? Yeah, well, yeah, picking them. Look, yeah, I, I don't know that we, you know, you would think that the government would want to talk about success stories. You mentioned something like that there. I don't mm. know. Are there many success yeah. stories? I mean, we don't know. But I don't know. I, I just think as a parent um, that the parents or guardians or whoever's responsible for a lot of these kids, they need to be held responsible. You can, I can, I can see fair enough that, you know, 10-year-olds may or may not be criminally responsible for the things they do. I've got kids that age and I don't know what they do half the time, like what they're thinking when they're doing them. But that's why you and I are there, Chris, as parents, to yeah. guide them and to say, right, you can't do that. Um, there's just got to be more parent responsibility and um, – yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I, I understand the do the do good aspect of it from a government point of view, and there's pressure internationally, and I get all of that. But you cannot, you just cannot delete the, you know, the the what's the word I'm looking for? You just can't delete what has occurred here. Yeah, the, the history of crime, yeah. the history of violence, yeah. if you will. Yeah, that's what I mean, you can I call to, this one a history of violence. I watch a lot of true crime stories, Chris, and one of the things that um, you you see with a lot of these career criminals is that they start young, and they generally start young because a parent or a family member was involved, and it's it's almost like a a family organisation. Um, now, I'm not saying that's the case in the territory in every case because they're all different. I get that, but if lack of parental control and lack of supervision is a major reason for this, and that's what we're led to believe is the case, yeah. then that needs to be fixed. Expunging these kids' records yeah. does nothing. Yeah, no, and it's completely just the wrong place to be doing that. I get where Labor yeah. makes that, like you're saying, that, that, that this is fundamentally probably a good thing. But yeah. practically, practically, it does right. not work here in the Northern Territory, and it's going to cause problems. Now, to the point of what you were saying just a second ago about these people and families and who they are exactly, just firstly, I'll say that uh, the, the sources had said that it was, quote, common knowledge within the system that the diversion program's in place. 
will not be able to handle the expected increased demand on services. Um, now, according to Territory Families, and this goes to your point, up to 75% of children in the youth justice system have one or more psychiatric disorders, uh, mm. others suffering from fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and other behavioral conditions. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, how, how are you dealing with that stuff? And then there's this one program, five million and this one back on track. Yep. I don't think that's going to address what the, our, our issues here are. And uh, yeah, and so this is, you know, it's just going to, it's going to be that if, you know, the, the prosecution, like this one source was saying, will now have to prove criminal intent once again in cases where it had already been proven in the past for the same recidivist. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah to the point of, you know, some of these crimes that are still going on now, they, those people are more likely not to get bail or more likely to get bail. Yeah, that's right. Because the past stuff isn't there anymore. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's just crazy. It's just counterproductive yeah. to do anything um, that the government's done and, and says that they're doing to keep the community safe. And until they start addressing those fundamental issues, and you're right with the parents, with the um, the conditions that, that they're in, the psychiatric yeah. was 75%, and we know fetal alcohol, we know what a big problem that is. Um, uh, look, yeah, until they start addressing those things, we're, we're doomed here. That's how it feels, unfortunately. Um, speaking yeah. of another group of people who may feel somewhat the same way, half of the Northern Territory Police Fire and Emergency Services staff say it's not safe to challenge the way things are done in those institutions, according to a survey, Chris. Yeah, well, look, we, we, we know what a toxic place working at the Anti-Police Fire and Emergency Services is, was, yep, seemingly continues to be, yeah, and continues to be, right? I mean, we haven't heard anything to make us think otherwise. Now, th th these numbers, um, you know, one here that you mentioned there, and then another 35% of Anti-Police Fire and Emergency Services employees who responded to the Anti-Government's Workplace Survey said they did not believe their senior managers had the skills and the capability to lead their organization. Wow. Um, yeah, another 40% said those managers did not model the behaviors expected of employees. Well, 35% said they did model those behaviors. Another 42% said they believe their senior managers did have the skills to lead, but you're looking at 35% here saying they don't. It's yeah. pretty big. Now, this is all part of the NT uh, Public Service People Matters survey for the agencies. Um, and we'll probably have more of those things kind of rolling out from different agencies because there's some interesting things in there, Pete. And I, I'm not sure that they've even released this publicly yet. Yeah. Um, I think an email went around to public servants from Vicki Telfer, Commissioner for Public Employment. Uh, but yeah, I don't, yeah, other than that, they haven't sent us out in a media release. I can tell you that because I don't want to promote that and some of the findings here. <laughs> Um, but look, we, we know how difficult and how um, underappreciated the police have felt and the issues in there. And we know that those uh, union surveys were a good example of that. Mm. Um, and this kind of backs this up. Now, it didn't say exactly when. Now, these, these People Matter survey, if you recall, that every two years they get done. Now, they didn't say when the questions were sent around for this one, whether Chalker was still there or he had retired. Um "Quote unquote retired," uh, but we know that the the numbers were bad. Uh, let's see here, just some more of that was um, 
there were some positives. Maybe we're getting the results. The People Matter survey was 90% indicated the number of respondents who believed that the work they did was important. And we imagine that police, fire, and emergency people <laughs> very much important, followed yeah, by 89% yeah. who believe their work behavior was guided by the code of conduct. 87% believe they sought to improve their day-to-day performance. Uh, 87% also believe they contributed to the workplace outside their job description. And 86% said the organization saw uh, earning and sustaining a high level of public trust as important. Uh, but now on the, the flip side of that, the negative response is 52% of respondents said the agency was not a safe place for people to speak up or challenge the way things were done. Mm. As you mentioned earlier, uh, 52% said recruitment and promotion was not based on merit. We know oh. that's been an issue for a while. 48% yep. said the organization did not fairly consider staff recommendations about how to operate better. 44% said senior managers did not make timely decisions, and 43% said they did not believe senior managers kept staff informed about what is going on. Now, this is a pretty important agency when you're talking about police yeah. fire emergency. And so these concerns that they're raising, you know, it's painting a picture in here of, um, of real dysfunction amongst the senior managers. And yeah, it is. And the staff, uh, yeah, only 30% said senior management had a clear vision for the future. 36% said they did not. Some more thinking they did not have a clear vision. 35% said senior managers provided clear strategy direction, but a larger number, 37%, said they did not. The rest of respondents only gave a neutral answer on those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also, we should just mention this too, the section on bullying, sexual harassment, and physical abuse. 16% of respondents saying they thought bullying and sexual harassment were tolerated in the agency. Well, 67% said they were not, 10% were neutral. Uh, Meanwhile, 32% of respondents said they had been victims of bullying at work. 8% said they had been a victim of sexual harassment, and 1% said they'd been the victims of physical abuse. 57% 57% said they had uh, not been a victim of any of the three types of abuse, while 11% said they preferred not to say. And they did not specify if employees could be victims of all three forms of abuse. Anyway, yeah, uh, look, of uh, 202 people who said they had been bullied, 92% said they had been bullied by people internally. 19% said externally, while 11 uh, said they had made a formal complaint, said they were satisfied with the way it was handled. Um, anyway, extra information was all redacted for anonymity reasons when you get into the physical abuse and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, look, doesn't paint a good picture of, of working in the NTPFES. And I'm telling you, the longer they go without a commissioner and CEO, uh, you know, permanent, that um, I think that's going to cause more instability there. And, and, and they've yeah. got to be very careful in who they pick to be the next commissioner and chief executive because you picked the wrong one and um, yeah, people are going to be leaving. Uh, you they've know, been already, yeah, they've already been leaving. Yeah. And uh, mm. it didn't get into that. As I recall, there was nothing in there about um, the attrition rate still. Uh, yeah. But we know from the other union surveys and stuff, just how many are leaving and why they're leaving. And it's, it's mm. not good. And, and they've got to fix this. And it's on warden again, too, as the minister. You know, yeah. remember, where's that mental health strategy that they've been asking for? They're working uh, on it, Chris. We've yeah. told you this. Come <laughs> on. A lot of numbers in there that are worrying, Chris. A lot of yeah. a lot of really bad numbers in that in that bunch. So, yeah, hopefully they get a um, 
a new leader soon, whether they confirm the current one or get a new one in. But yep. uh, whatever happens, they need to really, um, I guess, make themselves known quickly and, and try and stop the rot, as it were. Yeah, yeah, and fix the play. Yeah, just fix it. Just fix it. Mm-hmm. And um, we need somebody who cares about the troops, who the troops can respect. And exactly. um, yeah, we haven't had that in a while. So yeah, hopefully we exactly. get it. Moving to the next story, a Darwin Cup jockey has, uh, well, a potential Darwin Cup jockey, I should probably say, has uh, allegedly been attacked outside their home, uh, ringing emergency services saying they're going to kill me. This is worrying, Chris. Yeah, this was a shocking story, and I think it was making national headlines this week. Um, uh, I think it was like a, a racing site that actually had the story, had the interview yeah. uh, with uh, Darwin jockey Sonia Wiseman. Now, yeah, scheduled to ride in the Darwin Cup here on Monday. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, what's going to happen, but she's now told a story that, that's horrific and I think frightening for everybody in Darwin. And yeah. then. You know, had her nose broken in three places, two of her teeth knocked out after being hit with a rock in an alleged attempt carjacking, she suggested, by a group of up to 15 men. Now, 31-year-old, uh, yeah, was due to ride Lethal Encounter in Monday's Cup and get married in three weeks as well. Yeah, that was uh, worrying like, bit. Yeah, the wedding thing. So, um, anyway, she told this this racing site this week that she was still having panic attacks from this episode, which she said allegedly involved a group of t- between 10 to 15 men surrounding her car, trying to get her out of the vehicle and hitting her in the face with a rock. Uh, NT police, incidentally, uh, did not publish a press release about the attack at the time. Interesting, yeah. It wouldn't. Uh, Anyway, Wiseman said, while well, she was in the car, all of a sudden the glass on the passenger side window shattered. Now, this is, I guess, late at night, and they weren't saying exactly where this was, but uh, I think she had said something that she just went out to get uh, something out of the car in her pajamas, and, but apparently was in there because she said the glass on the passenger side window shattered. I looked to my left. There was a group of 10 to 15 men. I don't know if they initially knew I was in the car. Um, okay. Uh, but as soon as I looked up, they all started laughing. She said, I instantly Mm. locked my door and tried to get the keys in the ignition, but in my state of freaking out and then kept turning the ignition, even though the car was on, she said, we have a manual car. And for the life of me, I forgot how to use the clutch. They were, uh, reefing on the driver's side door, trying to get it open. They were saying we're going to get, uh, we are going to get out of the car. I was so terrified. Uh, yeah, she said her partner, Darwin trainer, Tommy Logan, was asleep in the house at the time. She was forced to try and drive off to get away. She said these men were literally, literally like a pack of coyotes going on a hunt. She told Race Nut, I was screaming. I knew it was going to be bad. One of the men was circling the car with a metal or timber object. And then smashed me in the face with a rock, broke my nose in three places, cut my lips, smashed my teeth. I tried to drive off the wrong way down the highway, but a group of them blocked me. I just kept screaming to the triple zero operator and honking my horn. She said then it was uh, near military barracks and some security guards heard her car horn honking and dispersed the group. While a neighbor wrapped her bloody face in a towel before she was taken to hospital where she spent the night. Not sure if she's saying that. She's not sure if she'll ride in the cup on Monday. Um, yeah, she's got some medical clearance to do that. Anyway, just a, a terrifying 
ordeal here yeah. in, in what she's explained. Um, yeah. yeah, very strange that, that that many people too, I think it's unusual that um, yep. you would have that many males at one time in this one place. Mm. So you look, police, I think uh, they were on mix uh, the next day talking about this saying that they are investigating. I hope so. Um, but this is maybe even where it gets more frightening is that it was Travis Wurst. I uh, don't know. I think he's deputy commissioner now. Um, anyway, or acting deputy commissioner. He uh, told everybody that the police didn't have enough officers on that night to go by and actually deal with it at the time. Oh, wow. Now, that that is really terrifying. And I, I think Katie Wolf had asked him, like, well, what's more important than that? And he said, well, we had some other aggravated robberies going on and stuff. But this is, you know, and we couldn't Worse get from that. You know, like I was told that by somebody and we tried to listen to that on her website and she did not put that up. Now, usually she puts the interview she does up, but she didn't put that one with Travis Wurst. Mm. And, um, yeah, it seemed like it was pretty, pretty that bad. That was the worst interview, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, man. It was. I get what you're saying. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, like, look, if the police can't respond to a woman being uh, assaulted in the street, yeah, that's right. the 15 men. I mean, that is just terrifying. Like, forget this um, crime marketing person. Like, there's no way to market or spend this one. Maybe but the marketers is, need to get out there and do some policing as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like I said, it's interesting the police didn't put that out. But I guess if they hadn't uh, uh, appeared that night yeah. at the scene of the crime, I mean, I, I don't know how that happens. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I don't either. That, that is yeah. completely troubling on so many levels. Not least of which that there weren't enough people working to go and help this young lady. Yeah, and look, yeah, and you're talking about this, and this is all tied in with the Darwin Cup, which, of course, we know is, is this long weekend, uh, and people are here for that. But that's not going to be very good publicity around the country. And it just, no. I don't know, I didn't see if the Daily Mail did it, but this seemed total Daily Mail stuff to me, where they yeah, would be uh, yeah, throwing this all over the place. So, um I mean, imagine yeah. if that happened somewhere in the northern suburbs or, you know, um, well, anywhere around there, that uh, there was no army barracks around for people to come to her aid. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, what would have gone How would that have ended? Yeah. And so, look, yeah, the police say they're investigating. I, I don't know if they'll be in charge. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. So hopefully they keep us kind of updated on this because I think the whole community is very much. I, I mean, the rates on this were astronomical. So I think, um, yeah, we all want to know, you know, keep us updated on what's going on here and how this happened. And if the charges are laid, maybe we get a little bit more information. There's still yeah. some stuff with the details and all of that that seem a little, you know, mm -hmm. we're just not, not confirmed everything exactly. Um, of what happened and how it transpired and how it all went down. So I think there's more mm. on that and hopefully we do get to hear about it because yeah, terrifying ordeal. I agree. Let's hope the young lady uh, can ride in the cup and yeah. rides the winner. And, and as importantly as someone who has DJed hundreds and hundreds of weddings over the years, let's hope she can get her teeth fixed <laughs> and you know, everything sorted yeah. out for wedding day. Cause that's yeah. pretty terrible. That's a, that's a very good point, Pete. Yep. We do hope she makes it down the aisle as well. Yeah, that's it. All right. Let's move to the next story. Um, regarding schools, we haven't talked about schools for a while, Chris. And yeah. uh, there's calls for more NT government accountability 
after a $40 million school fund stoush. Yeah. Tell us about this. All right. So this $40 million, Pete, was part of Albanese's cool quarter of a billion to tackle yeah. crime in the Alice Springs region. It was announced back in January, as you mm. recall. Uh, now, they were given this, and uh, they call it the federal government's $40 million equity fund to Alice Springs schools. Now, the money was coming out, so Eva Lawler, the education minister, she initially said last week that that $40 million would be distributed to the schools based on the controversial effective enrollment method, right? Now, that this, right. this is the one that distributes funding based on attendance rather than enrollment. Right. Uh, but the next day, she then backflipped, claimed the money would now be allocated based on straight enrollment figures. Because if you're doing this stuff for, for the crime issues and you're addressing crime, yeah. Yeah. well, those schools, you don't leave money away because they need it for based on the attendance to keep the kids there and to, to expand and see what yeah. they can do. That's what this money is clearly intended for. Anyway, the education union, of course, uh, AEUNT, uh, said it welcomed the backflip, but said the federal government should really be supplying similar equity support packages to schools across the territory, not only in the Alice Springs region. Um, the AUNT branch president, Michelle Ayers, told the ABC, one in every five students in our anti-public schools is unfunded. The problem is not unique to the Alice region or even to our remote schools. One in five unfunded means every public school in the territory is struggling. We need to see packages like this across the entire territory. Uh, now, yeah, the, the, the other part of that is that they're also calling for more um, uh, oversight by the federal government because yeah. of how distribution of this stuff works. Um, yeah, so uh, we've had issues, Michelle has continued with transparency when it comes to the way the funding is distributed in the Northern Territory and absolutely distributing it based on effective enrollment on attendance when it's obviously failing. Um, yeah, and that, that's a problem. The fact that the NT government has been distributing education funding in this way for the last almost 10 years indicates to me that they shouldn't be trusted when it comes to delivering education funding. No doubt. Yeah. Now, Lawler, of course, has her reasons. She had told the ABC in a statement late last week that the money would be distributed to the schools based on enrollment, not attendance. She said the accurate enrollment calculation method support schools in the central region being funded closer to 100% of the schooling resource standard. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, backflipped and said that uh, they would be doing it now on attendance. Um yeah, they want that federal oversight, though, the AEU. Yingi uh, Aguila said that, too, the funding method is unfair because of the disproportionate way it impacts schools and remote Aboriginal communities. There should be greater accountability about how the funding is distributed. Effective enrollment has meant that many remote schools have been underfunded over a number of years, and we now have large numbers of children that need support to attend school. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and then I think that's the point. Yep. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's where we're at. Lawler, they can't get their act together to know how they're actually going to distribute. I mean, look, this is what we were worried about, and I was talking about at the time this um, administrative intervention. Yep. Uh, you know, where they were going to come up and, and, and oversight. You can't give these idiots $250 million. I mean, they've yeah. shown that they don't know how to do this stuff properly. Yeah. Um, so we need them to, to to show the territory where this money needs to be spent and then to make sure it's being spent there and then to I make sure that they what they're spending on it is effective as well. Correct. I can't believe they actually hand over the money and just say, oh, look, we'll trust you to 
send it out to the right areas. You know I what cannot, you're doing. I, I You've cannot. proven you know what you're doing. Yeah. No, I, I, I <laughs> it's just reckless, isn't it? It's just it's idiocy. You yeah. get what you deserve if you do that. Yeah, because they had, they're the ones who had to come and fix this for Natasha Files. Anthony Albanese yeah. had to fix this and say, you're putting those bands back in place. We're going to give you some money. But that's the problem. Like, you don't just keep, you know, giving money to the addict here. You got to fix them at some point yeah, and yeah, say, yeah. I'm not going to continue to enable Correct. you. And that's all he's doing. He's enabling these people when he says, this and now we're seeing this. And then there's a whole bunch right. of issues on how they fund uh, schools, especially remote areas. And if you're looking at addressing social issues there, there needs to be something else. Like clearly there needs to be some other aspect here of this whole thing. Mm. If kids aren't going to school, but they're there. I mean, this money needs to be used to do that, to get them back into school. We don't even know. I mean, this story and everybody that talked that, that had been quoted in this, nobody's even talking about what the hell this is going to be used for exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That was going to be distributed, but what are the schools using it for? We don't That's know. Right. Next thing you know, they'll be building a grandstand at Alice Springs Turf Club. <laughs> <laughs> he was at the classroom. Absolutely. <laughs> and they'll set up a company like the Infrastructure Development Fund to carry it out so we'll never be able to see where the money goes. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, look, something else that grabbed my attention during the week, because I'm not sure why you don't just release the schedule, but the Darwin <laughs> Airport Tarmac up upgrade work schedule is going to be released soon, Chris. It's coming, Pete. It's coming. That's all they'll tell us. It's coming. Yeah. Um, and they'll say, well, look, this is in time for, for end of the year kind of holidays, Christmas holidays. Um, yep. All right. Uh, and they're saying that this uh, timetable for the upgrades, of course, of the Carmack at the airport uh, will reportedly be released in the coming days uh, to enable airlines to effectively schedule flights into and out of Darwin. Of course, we know that uh, some of those flights, uh, Jetstar had already canceled the Darwin Dempasar stuff between October 9th and November 8th mm. due to works going on. So expect more cancellations when when that happens, when the schedule is finally produced. I think the other part in all of this one, too, is that they never said it was going to be made public. Yeah, um, you know they're going to give it to the uh, defense that said that they were working with the Civil Aviation Safety Authority. So the work schedule for the 180 million dollar upgrade and repairs would be released in the next couple of days. But that you know, yeah, we don't know if it's going to be public exactly, but it's going to be given to the uh, airport development group, which of course leases Darwin, Alice Springs, and Tennant Creek airports from the federal government. They've said that uh, the works at the airport Darwin are expected to create a peak daily workforce. Not well. They always make this mm -hmm. up: 150 workers uh, with an average daily labor force between 60 and 90. Yeah, right. Um, we just know that they're <laughs> always overblown. Uh, ADG is aware the uncertainty regarding these works is impacting our airline partners and the traveling public, and as such, do hope. Then an amended uh, scope of works program can be submitted to CASA by uh, or for approval before the end of July, which would enable works to commence in August. Um, yeah, and uh, they continue to keep stakeholders informed. Uh, like we said, though, Jetstar's already cut things. Just expect more to be done here. And, and yeah, we, exactly. we won't know when that's going to happen. Members of the traveling public will be... Um put out by this, but members of the Travelling Defence Force will be absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what and, seems to be the underlying thing. And neither should the defence have to tell you what they're doing either, given that it's a working bloody yeah, defence base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, but yeah, as we know. And then what was the other idea? We'll do it at night. It's not busy at the Durham it's not Airport. Peak hour. <laughs> yeah, so cause maximum disruption at night. I think we were like holding the story for like if like days went on, and then I thought, well, I would just wait until it comes out, and then days mm. kept going on, and it hasn't come out. So that was an Indian standoff. They were like, no, yeah. we're not going to release it till Walshy writes the story. <laughs> and then I figured they would that afternoon or something. Um, <laughs> Which is good because you know sometimes you got to write these stories to put pressure on people to actually do what they yep. said they were going to do. So hopefully mm -hmm. that does that, and hopefully we all get to see and uh, know what the impact's going to be. That's right. Now you've forced their hand. Before you know <laughs> it, we'll have a schedule, Chris. <laughs> all right, okay. just hold there for me for a second. And now it's time for the job files. Thanks to no one in particular. Sadly, still no sponsor, Chris. But anyway, uh, I'm, uh, not we're working on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this week's job files job of the week features the AANT, Chris. They um, are looking for a media advocacy and communications advisor. Communications have been big in the news recently. You might have picked up on that. Um, <laughs> the media advocacy and communications advisor will play a critical role in driving, pardon the pun, strategic <laughs> communications, media outreach, policy development, lobbying, and advocacy efforts to enhance the visibility of AANT and support the interests of our members. Hmm. That's a mouthful. Now, there's lots of stuff. That you know, they, they have not been doing a lot of stuff lately, though. They do need somebody in there. I remember, like, maybe it was fuel price stuff they were really big on. Yep. But we have not heard from the AANT in a long time, to my recollection. It's true, but I always think they're they're perennially visible because of their um, signs up at all the United Petrol stations around. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking media-wise, like I, I don't even recall a time when we've quoted them. Yeah, and, you know, I'm sure we have, but like in the last little while, like I've not seen anything where it's like, oh wow, that's a good point. They raised us to a story. On yeah, that. yeah. So yeah. yeah, they do need a media advisor. What is a media advocate now? What the hell is that? Anyway. It allows them to charge more, Chris. That's a fancy <laughs> title. There's a whole stack of duties involved, but they're looking for somebody with the experience of a bachelor's degree in communications, public relations, journalism, public policy, or a related field. Minimum of three years experience in media relations, communication or journalism, experience in a member-based organization is a plus and a proven track record of creating and executing successful communications strategies. That rules a few people out, I know, Chris. Um, <laughs> if you're interested in yeah. the job, there's, there's actually this is the most comprehensive uh, job advertisement I've seen in quite some time, given that the NT government now like to do their two-liners. Um, no money mentions. There's uh, heaps, of mo heaps of pay on offer. Um Requests for a position description can be made to AANT uh, via Michelle Smith on 89255912. Well, look, I guess if AANT were doing their job properly and being critical of a government and representing motorists, 
um, <laughs> be calling for more things, the government would just take that job on and move <laughs> one of their people in to be the exactly yeah interference in an outside body. That's what this government does best. Maybe that's uh, why we haven't heard from anyone in a while, Chris. Yeah, Maybe exactly. <laughs> Hijacked. Yeah. They yeah. decided to move that person on that produced nothing recently. <laughs> yeah, maybe they were promoted to the office of the chief minister here for something. That's it. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, Chris. Well, as always, mate, it's been enlightening and I look forward to uh, spending some more time with you next week. All right. Thanks, Pete. We'll see you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshie back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. In the meantime, have a great week. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favorite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.